I started a series on Easter Sunday called Run to Win. I'm going to, I plan on finishing that up today and the last of the sermons in that series. And I mentioned two weeks ago, last week we had a missionary to Boston with us, and but I mentioned two weeks ago a little bit of overlap in some of the messages because of the closeness and the sameness of the subject, but looking at this idea of the Christian race from various passages of Scripture, and today I want to look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. It says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified this passage for Sunday and if you're picking up the mic is doing weird things today so I may change the handheld in just a moment I read this passage as part of my sermon back on Easter Sunday and today I want to to it uh, in a little more detail and depth Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for your goodness, your blessing, your favor. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. May you work in us. Thank you that you have given us worthy to be in your family. You us worthy to be those who are called by your name. You have placed us in your kingdom for such a time as this. We thank you, Lord, and give you praise in Jesus' name. May God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to preach for a little while on this thought. To finish is to win. To finish is to win. And I haven't preached with a handheld in a while, so I may start talking like this or something. We'll see. Hopefully I won't do that. But Races, by definition, are designed to pit one person against another. So whether it is an actual race where you're running or driving or riding a bike or swimming or whether it is who can eat the most hot dogs in a period of time, whatever it is, it is pitting two people against each other or multiple people, but it's always about whoever is the fastest at the task at hand. That's what a race is. And and I, I was very competitive growing up. I'm not near as competitive now. I've lost enough that losing doesn't matter too much, especially if it's something unimportant. But back in the day, I was very competitive and could find anything to race over. Not necessarily physical. I was never fast, so I would pick something that didn't involve running. But who could come up with the, the right math problem? Or, or back in the day when you'd have sword drills, where you had to, somebody would give a Bible reference in Sunday school, and, man, you had to find it first and... Man, I was so good at all of that. Maybe why I became a preacher. Or maybe I just needed to be humbled and then I get to 
work with people all the time. and That'll humble you in a hurry. But when I was working at the post office, I had this, this problem of being competitive, and I had two speeds, stop and all out. That whatever I was doing at the post office had to be, I was always seeking to be the fastest that I could be. And so whether when, in the time when I was a mail carrier, I would deliver the mail as fast as I could. I might not have followed all of the safety protocols, but I was always going as fast as possible to try to get the job done and get back to the office and then take it easy. And then when I was a window clerk there for a while, it was the same kind of deal. I was like, man, I can get more people through my line than you can get through yours. And I was, because I was competitive and I was always racing, always looking to get more done and faster and better than someone else. There's a book you may be familiar with, our story at least, about the tortoise and the hare. In this particular book, and I have not read it since I was but a child, but as you know, the tortoise wins the race, and it's not because the tortoise was the fastest, because by far the hare was much faster than the tortoise, but the tortoise was slow and steady, and the hare would get off to a great lead and then he would get sidetracked and he would begin to do a lot of other things besides paying attention and getting to the finish line. And so the tortoise actually in the story, at least he wins the race. And I would tell you that most of the time in a real race, slow and steady never wins. It's always about being the fastest. It's always about getting the job done the quickest. But but in the, the Christian race that you and I are in, it is not about being the fastest. It's not, not about being in first place. It is not to the swiftest. The, the Bible tells us it is not the swiftest who wins the race. However, we are to run, the text tells us, as one who wins the race. And in the context of what Paul is talking about, it is those who are going to come in first and even though the race we're running is not about being the swiftest and it's not about coming in first, it is about running as one who would win the race. And so with that in mind, I'm going to look into this text and give you a few things about the Christian race and a few things about how we are to run the race. I'm going to give you a specific five principles about the race that you and I are running I'm going to start in, chapter, in verse 25 here. And the first thing that I would tell you is that the race requires self-control. Everyone, Paul writes, who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Self-control, it's frequently something we talk about, but we often fail to actually live out. That particular word in the text means to exercise complete control over one's desires and actions. Complete control. That's a difficult thing to do. And, and in, a, in a person who is a, a runner in this particular case, what, what Paul is using is the metaphor of someone who is running a race. They didn't have bikes. They didn't have cars. It's not a chariot race. It is a foot race. And in this particular type of race, he says, the person who is going to win has to exercise self-control in all things. It is about diet. It is about training. It is about not doing certain things. 
I could never be a runner because I like to eat. And in fact, I like to eat the wrong things. Eating clean is not at the top of my list. I know all about eating clean. I just don't have the self-control to do it. I know that I should exercise, but I just don't make it a priority. But he says the one who is going to compete in the games must exercise self-control in all things. So what that means is it's a 24-7 kind of deal. It's not just eat eat a certain uh, healthy level during the day and then at night eat whatever you want. I don't know if you've noticed this. I talk about a lot about eating and losing weight or not losing weight, as it were. Has anybody ever tried this where you're trying to lose weight and you eat one diet in the morning and then by afternoon you change diets and you're eating something different? Anybody ever done that? Where, where in the morning, man, I'm going to eat low carb all day and I have a low carb breakfast and by 11 o'clock I'm starving. I was like, well, forget the low carb. Let's go with high carb, low fat. <laughs> and instead of losing any weight, you gain weight by the end of the day. I mean, I was dieting all day. It's just I kept changing what I was doing because I, I lack self-control. But, but the runner, he doesn't do that. He's eating all the time healthy, eating only the appropriate things, eating his fruit and vegetables and eating lean meat and eating lower fat and, or whatever the diet of the day is. And every day he's training and he's going out there forcing himself to, to train and be ready for the race. I talk to people, I, I don't know, and I've mentioned this before, I hate to run uh, unless it's the dinner bell. And, but I talk to people and they're training for a marathon. And they're like, they're running like 13 miles a day every day and then they up it and they're finally, they're running a marathon every day just to get ready for a marathon. They're always training to get ready for the race. And, and while that is all true in, in a physical sense and it's all true in a natural race, self-control is actually one of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5. It is at the end of that. And in the King James, it is the word temperance. In other translations, they actually translate it as self-control. That when the Spirit of God is living in you, it should give you self-control. It should enable you to control your desires and your actions. Not so much about your diet and not about your exercise, but in how you live the Christian life. The things that you do and the things that you don't do, exercising self-control. So that you will pray and that you will spend time in the Word of God and that you will do the things that God asks to help us to grow in relationship with Him, but also to not do the things that will hinder our relationship and our growth in the Spirit. The race that you and I are in requires self-control. It's a difficult thing, but it is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I like about the way Paul uses the word fruit in Galatians chapter 5 He says, you don't have to work to get these things. He compares the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh, those are the things that we do naturally. And guess what? When we do them, we end up in all kind of sin. We produce, our work just results in our sin. But he says, the fruit of the Spirit, or that which the Spirit naturally produces in us, 
all of these wonderful good things, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, or self-control, the Spirit will produce that in us if we allow the Spirit to work in us. If we're spending time in the Word of God and if we're spending time in prayer, the Spirit will produce those things in us. We need self-control. The second truth about the race we're in is that it results in an eternal crown. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. They're running this race to get an olive wreath that's wrapped around their head and it's going to fade away in just a couple of days or a few days and maybe a couple of weeks at most. That green olive wreath is going to be brown and the leaves of, are, are going to fall off of the branch that it's on. He said they are running for this perishable wreath, but we are running for an imperishable wreath. When I was younger, I had a number of trophies from various things, playing softball, playing volleyball, and my daughter, I had those, I don't know why I still had those when Anna was born, but she uh, saw those, and she got a little older, and I was getting ready to throw them away. I was like, you know, 30 years of reliving my glory is enough, and, but she, she wanted to keep them, and for some reason, out of all the trophies that I, that I had gathered over the years, I only had two left. They were both from my middle teen years, and one of them was a softball trophy from winning a, a tournament that our church played in. And, and then the other one was, it was a girls' volleyball trophy. I may have told this story before, but it was mine. It was a girls' or a volleyball trophy. We had a tournament at our church, and it was a co-ed tournament, and it was supposed to be three guys and three girls. And the teams that I ended, I wasn't on a team, but the team I ended up playing on, one of the girls couldn't make it. And so because I was fairly young, they figured it wasn't going to, it would be okay. I could, I could fill in for one of the girls. Except we won the tournament. And so my trophy, I got the one that went to the girl who wasn't there. And so I had this girl volleyball trophy. And we hold these trophies and we keep them at times to remind us of what we've done and to remind us of the great things we may have accomplished. And that's what they're doing. They're running for a perishable wreath, something that's going to fade away and something that's going to pass away. But Paul says we are running for something that is imperishable. It will never fade away. It is a glory that will last forever. It is a glory that when we we win the race and we receive our crown, it's never going to pass away. There's a musical group. You may be familiar with them. They're called Casting Crowns. They get their name from... Revelation 4, 7 through 11, where John sees a vision of heaven, and in this vision of heaven, he, he records it this way. The first creature, he says, was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. The third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them, having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures 
gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. He said there are 24 elders. that He's already described them. He says these 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of you, And because of your will, they existed and were created. Paul says we're running for an imperishable crown. Not a perishable one, but an imperishable crown. But at the end of the day and at the end of time, when we stand before Jesus Christ, what we're going to do is going to to recognize that we have this crown on our head, but it's not because we've done anything greater. It's not because we're anything special. It's all because of Jesus. And we're going to take those crowns and we're going to throw them at his feet, giving glory and honor and praise to him. Our imperishable crown is going to be cast at his feet because he is worthy. He is the one, if we make it to heaven, it's all because of Jesus. He is the one who died for our sins and paved the way that we could be saved. It is all because of him, and we will recognize it, if not before then, in that day, and we will cast our crowns at his feet. Now, if you're listening online, you probably can't hear the dance studio. But just let me say, the dance studio sounds like they're having a meeting today. They never have it on Sunday. But we'll try not to be distracted by what's going on over there. The third thing our text tells us is that the race requires purpose and focus. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Now, Paul throws in a different metaphor here. He's talking about running, and then he throws in boxing. He says, but I'm not running just to run. I'm not running just to have something to do. It's it's really not about the running. It's about getting to the goal. It's about finishing the race. It's about winning the race. He says, I'm not just running Without aim, I'm not just running anywhere. But there is a destination, and as you know in any race, there is a finish line. And it doesn't matter if you're faster than everybody else. It doesn't matter if you run longer than everybody else. It's all about crossing the finish line. That you have to have an aim, you have to have a focus, you have to have a purpose. And he says, I don't just run around to be running. He says, I don't box as one that is just beating the air. I'm not swinging just to be swinging. I'm swinging to hit something. I'm boxing because I want to hit something. I'm boxing because there is an opponent and that I'm trying to hit him. I'm trying to win the, the bout that I'm in. I'm not just up there seeing how quick I can jab, how much I can move. So that doesn't do any good. It's all about the opponent. It's all about winning. It's all about conquering in this case. But you and I, when we're, we're running this Christian race, it's not about exercise. It's about winning. I'm not practicing reading my Bible. Reading my Bible helps me win the race. 
I'm not practicing prayer just to, just to practice prayer, but praying helps me win the race. It, it's about winning the race. It's not about activity. It's not about checking a box and, and being good at this or being good at that. It's all about winning the race. That what you and I are doing is all important. That we have an eternity that every one of us are going to enter into and the question is, is, are we going to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ or are we going to spend an eternity apart from him? It is serious business. It requires purpose. It requires focus. I mentioned boxing, and you may not like boxing. I, I grew up liking boxing. Paul uses this analogy here. and So I, I know a little bit about boxing, and the jab and the right cross and the left hook and the uppercut and, the, you know, one, two, three, four, and the numbers of the punches. And But one of the things I, I know about boxers is this, that, that whenever they have a boxing match scheduled, that they usually will go into training camp to get ready for the fight. That, that they're in this training camp, they're doing a number of things. They're getting in physical shape. All the bad eating they've done and the lack of exercise they've had since their last fight, they, they now get serious about it and go, man, we got 10 weeks to get ready to get in the ring and, and go 10 or, or 12 rounds, depending if it's a championship fight. And they're also studying their opponent and they're trying to figure out the best way to attack their opponent and to defend and to not get hit and the tendencies of their opponent. But in between bouts and in between training camps, they're in this off-season where they, they're not dieting right and they're not training right and they're frequently gaining a lot of weight. But I would tell you in the Christian life, there is no off-season. There is no time where we can say, you know what, it's no big deal. I'll get serious about this again next month or, or next year. But there's all, we are always in training. We're always in the fight. We're always in the race. We're always to be prepared and focused on the goal that you and I are ch- trying to achieve. And that is an eternity with Jesus Christ. Fourthly, the race requires finishing. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not become disqualified. This is the great apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle who stands before kings, the, the, the apostle who ultimately will stand before Nero and will lose his life. The one who writes at least 13 of the 27 New Testament books. This is the apostle who saw Jesus out of season and out of due time that Jesus appeared to him special after the resurrection and communicates with him one-on-one. And he says, I discipline my body because if I don't discipline my body, then I may become disqualified. Pastor Cedric said this morning when the train comes by, we should just do this, acknowledge it's coming in. I think one came through during worship service. I had my in-ears in. I didn't, wasn't totally sure. But. but I discipline my body, he says, 
Because if I don't discipline my body, then I, who have preached to others, might become disqualified. This word means and refers to this idea of, in the natural, of course, it's about disciplining his body for the race and, and doing the diet and the training and all the things you need to do. But, but in the spiritual, it's about spiritual disciplines. It's about that prayer, and it's about fasting, and it's about reading the Word of God. It's about doing the things where the spiritual man is in charge and not the physical man. But if my body, he says, if I don't make it my slave, then my body will become in charge of everything, and I will give in to the desires of the flesh, and I will do things that are going to be sinful and are ultimately going to lead me away from God. And if that's true of Paul then that's true of you and I. That you and I need to make sure we are disciplining ourselves to do the things of God so that we will not do the things that are not pleasing to Him. In a natural race, there are certain rules and regulations and there's a certain path that you have to run on, whether it's cross country or something else. You can't just cut across the, the field, but you have to stay on the course. But when I don't discipline my body, then then I'll get off track and I'll break the rules and I'll try to take shortcuts. And ultimately what he says is that he would fall into sin and be disqualified from reaching heaven. I know we live in a Christian culture that will tell you that once you get on the train... It's bound for glory. You can never get off. You can never be thrown off. Nothing can ever get you off that. That when you get on the train, you're going to heaven whether you want to or not. That contradicts everything the scripture tells us. He's like, lest I have preached to others and that I become disqualified. Disqualified from what? The Christian race. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at this and say, if you're disqualified from the Christian race, guess what? You're not going to heaven because that's the goal. It's to get to heaven and spend an eternity with Jesus. And if you're out of the race, you don't make it. I had professors in seminary. This one professor great teacher, knew Greek tremendously, knew a lot about New Testament backgrounds, understanding the culture of the first century and, and the things leading up to the writing of the New Testament, and knew all of these things and had unbelievable insight. But I was in this class, it was New Testament survey, and we were going through the book of Matthew. And as we're going through the book of Matthew, we get to the part where Jesus said it's better to pluck your right eye out and go to heaven with only one eye than to go to hell with two. If your right hand offends you, he said, cut it off because it's better to go to hell with one hand or to heaven with one hand than to go to hell with two. And my professor made this statement. He says, if you look at that passage, he said, you would, you would think that what Jesus is saying is that you can lose your salvation. He said, ah, oh, but we know that's not true. 
next verse. All you got to do is read it. It's pretty clear. But when we build our theology on ideas that are not in the Bible, then we have to come up with ways to explain away the clear meaning of Scripture. And it's pretty clear that what Paul is saying is here is, I don't want to fall away and be disqualified, but I want to make sure that when I have preached to others, that I discipline my body and I make it to heaven, that I finish the race that I've started. Anybody want to finish the race and make it all the way to heaven with Jesus Christ? Would you give him a hand clap? And to make you have hope that I'm almost done, I'm going to go ahead and have the praise team come. I really will try to wrap it up quick. It is both my fifth point and maybe it should be part of my conclusion as well. But I want to go back to the first verse of our text. Paul says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. I've already stated it, but there is a prize at the end of the race. And this prize is an eternity with Jesus Christ. That what you and I are looking for, the reason we're here today is because we are looking to have an eternity with Jesus Christ. We're looking to spend eternity with Him. The alternative is not something that you and I ever want to participate in. Don't ever want to experience it. Paul's using this natural race, and in a natural race, he says only one is going to win the prize. But unlike the natural race that he's talking about in this race that is the Christian life, it's not just one person who wins the prize, but it is everyone who finishes the race. That every person who makes it to the end whether you've been in church for 40 years or 30 years or two days if you're still in at the end you win it's not about how long you run it's about whether or not you're in the race when you cross the finish line there is no second place or as some who are competitive would say there is no first loser Everybody who's in the race wins. It's not everybody who's ever been in the race, but everyone who is in the race at the end, they win. And whether that's your end or the end of time, whether it's about you and you're in the race when you pass away, you're in the race when the rapture takes place as long as you're in the race you win it's been used in a, a lot of sermons over the time over the years and I'll just allude to it and won't go into too much detail but the story is told of an Olympic marathon runner 
representing his country and he's injured just before you cross the finish line maybe the last 400 meters or so falls to the ground he's in agonizing pain and he's trying to crawl his way to the line he can't stand he's sobbing partly because of the pain and partly because of how much training he put in and how much effort and the fact that he had come there to run the race a man jumps out of the crowd goes to where he is and it turns out that it's his father you may have seen the videos and his dad helps him to cross the finish line and they ask him why did you do that he said because my country didn't send me here to quit they sent me here I would tell you that God has put us in the race to finish. It's not to the swiftest. It's not to the strong. It's all about finishing the race. And there are times when when difficult circumstances will come our way and we'll stumble and fall and we'll be injured and we'll need other people to help us along the journey, but it's all about finishing. finish, you win. You don't have to be first. Be the best you can be, but you may not be the best. But if you finish, you win. Just stand together. I I don't have a prop today. I I wish I had had one for all of you, but watch the Tour de France and I said it like a southerner, not from southern France that you would know that there's a yellow jersey that's given out to whoever is leading after each leg of the race and at the end of the day who's ever in the lead get a yellow jersey to wear signifying that they're in the lead I would tell you I I don't have yellow jerseys for you but but I want you to understand this I've already said it it's not about being in first place just being in the race means that all of us should be wearing a yellow jersey because we're still in And when the end comes, whether it's the rapture or our death, if we're in the race, we win. That's all that it's about. To finish is to win. Would you lift your hands right now? Would you love the Lord Jesus? We love you. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. for putting us in the race today. Thank you, Lord, for 
what you have done that enables us to be here, to be serving you, to be following you, to be in this race. And Lord, you who have begun a good work in us will perform it or will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. We're confident, Lord, that all we have to do is continue to follow you and to continue to serve you, and we will make it to the end. We will make it to the end. Unfortunately, though, there is this truth that not everyone is in the race, that not everybody is actually in the Christian race. And just like with any race that you would go and be a part of today, there is an entry fee and there is a process. The great thing about this race, though, is that the fee has already been paid. That Jesus Christ has already paid it all. That Jesus Christ went to the cross for your sin and mine, and he paid the penalty for our sin so that we could get in this race anytime we want. We don't have to come up with the price. It's already been paid. But there is still a process. And that process is surrendering our life to Jesus. To turning our back on sin and repenting and saying we're going to follow Him and we're going to serve Him. It is being baptized in water in the name of Jesus, not sprinkling on our head, but a submersion or immersion fully in water in the name of Jesus. And He washes away our sin. And then being filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence and speaking in tongues. That is the process that puts us in the race. He has paid it all. And I would tell you that if you have not experienced that today, there's nothing that Jesus would like better than to take away your sins in the waters of baptism and to fill you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is here. And every time we gather together and He meets with us, He is here for that purpose. If you want to make sure that you're in the race all the way to the end, I'm going to invite you to step out from your seat, invite you to step up to the front. If you're not comfortable with that, you can step out in the aisle. But there's something about faith that says, I can't just stand still. And so when you step out, even if it's two or three feet over to the side, it's just, it's just a symbol. Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to commit to you to, to completing the race, to being in the race all the way to the end. Would you do that? Would you step out in faith as they sing?